It's a bird. It's a plane. Nope. It's a drone bringing me a present from Uncle Bezos. Jonathan Ruprecht, drone law lawyer, explains what the FAA recently did for Amazon and what that means for possible drone deliveries. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, listeners. Hope you're having a great day. Today, we've got a fun episode for you. And so in semi-recent news, the Federal Aviation Agency issued, and I'm going to have to quote this, it's called a Part 135 Air Carrier Certificate to Amazon for its fleet of prime drones. Now, that sounds pretty sweet, but honestly, I don't know what it means. But that's okay, because we have drone law lawyer Jonathan Ruprecht joining us here today. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Let's start at the very beginning, Jonathan. You know, this Part 135 air carrier certificate, I don't know what it means. So what's the importance and the significance of this to Amazon and its fleet of drones? Yeah, so uh, this is the third one that has been actually issued. The first one was for Google's wing, uh, wing aviation, and then UPS picked up a 135 operating certificate as well. And then now we have Amazon. And so in order to actually carry in the United States, other people's property, right, for compensation, you need an operating certificate to do that when you want to do it beyond line of sight of an individual. So that's really the significant part about it. It's the third one. So, you know, now as I understand it, you know, obviously by weight, delivering by trucks and delivering by vans is going to be a whole lot more affordable by weight. So, you know, how does a company like Amazon intend to use these drones? Yeah, so the one thing there is that you can have a distribution center and you can actually rapidly deploy these drones uh, to everyone within a certain distance. Now, obviously, the drone's not going to be able to go super, super far because it's going to have a certain amount of actual battery life or if it's gas-powered. So it's going to be able to kind of get this certain uh, near last mile, potentially if it's launched from an operating vehicle or from a distribution center to people rather rapidly. So that's really the big advantage to it uh, and provides really rapid delivery times So then everyone else has to kind of, if you will, compete to stay alive, right? Because everybody kind of expects two-day delivery now, right? And if Amazon sets the tone for uh, next hour delivery, right, then everyone else is going to have to adapt or die. So that's kind of one theory to it. Yeah, that's fascinating. So it's really kind of more of a supplement of not a replacement for kind of thing, right? Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't, it wouldn't replace everything. It would just supplement, you know, in a in particular location. Uh, additionally, you know, it's not just Amazon. There's also availability to do package delivery for certain other types of operations, which might be a little bit more ubiquitous uh, because you're going to have situations where like light payload, high need type of things are going to be probably I would say much more readily available to the average American. Such so as think of like CVS, uh, something like that, Walgreens, where you might want your medicine delivered to your front yard and you're not really wanting to drive and it's worth to you to pay a little bit more because you're very sick and you don't want to go out, right? Or especially if there's COVID or something like that. So that's, that's going to be also some uh, another additional avenue to this whole thing for package delivery as a whole, not just from the Amazon, but from other companies as well. Well, that's a good lead into my next question. So just logistically speaking, you know, how does it work? Are these piloted automated flights and then do they have a designated spot or are they going to just drop things with little parachutes? Right, exactly. A great, great, great question. Now, all of these aircraft are going to have to be piloted. There's always a piloting command flying the aircraft in the United States. Now, what can be done is that you could have a situation where you could have multiple aircraft being piloted by uh, one pilot at a, like a control center. And so that's kind of one way you could keep your operating costs of one pilot at a certain right fixed cost. 
and then have more and more of these uh, unmanned aircraft. But you can only scale it up to a certain point to where there's a human factors limitation there. But we really haven't hit that point yet. I mean, we haven't seen that much uh, delivery. Um, but yeah, there is also the issue practically of how do you actually get it into people's yards? I mean, from a privacy standpoint, because everyone's wondering that, well, if you're going to click the checkout, right, there's going to be something in your terms of service saying something along the lines of like, hey, it's okay, we can fly over your house, kind of take pictures of it as we descend down, right, and drop, <laughs> drop your medicine off. But as you kind of go up in altitude, that, that there's another issue that sometimes people bring up. It's whether or not you can also get your neighbor's house potentially also maybe in the footage as well. But for the delivery, you know, you're not going to have any problem with your end customers. Well, let's talk about that. So you're talking about airspace a little bit, some privacy issues there. But you know, as I understand it, it's a little different between the states, but there's some altitude restrictions. And one of the figures I had read, it's uh, you know anything below 400 feet, everything above 400 feet. But explain how that works and, and what type of limitations does that place on these type of craft? Sure, yeah. So primarily, a lot of the unmanned aircraft operating under what's called Part 107 are operating 400 feet above ground level and below. These Part 135 operations, they, they're operating under a different set of regulations, Part 91 and also Part 135. And they can fly higher if they want, but primarily you can kind of see the everything kind of separating where the drones are staying low to the ground while the manned aircraft are going higher. So when, when you're kind of looking at it that way, um, well, there's an interesting point is that if you try to figure out, like, can the states, towns, and counties do anything or is there any privacy issues, we have to kind of look at Fourth Amendment case law, where if you guys remember the Florida v. Riley case uh, way back in law school with the helicopter flying over the marijuana grow house, basically uh, the navigable airways, 400 feet for that particular helicopter, it's a navigable airway, right, just like being uh, along the road. So if you, if you think you have privacy in your front yard, well, you don't. And it's kind of the same thing when we kind of tilt it up, right? You know, now we have this three-dimensional aspects to it. So if the aircraft is flying over your house at 400 feet, then you can't really be claiming that that aircraft has no right to be there. It does, it being in the navigable airspace. And so there's this kind of this, this uh, bright line rule that we're starting to form here is like, if you're around 400 feet, you're probably pretty safe when it comes to privacy issues. But as soon as you start descending down below that 400, 500 foot uh, number, then that's where it starts getting problematic from a privacy standpoint. And so then some states, towns, and counties have started to kind of get in there and regulate these type of operations. But there's a problem with that because Part 135 operations are considered air carriers. And by federal statute, it's actually expressly preempted from any state, town, or county from creating any any law that would affect the rates, routes, or services of these operations. And so that's one big beneficial uh, point to obtaining a Part 135 operating certificate is you have that preemptive protective authority from all the state, town, local laws that are trying to be created to protect privacy interests and stuff like that. One of the things I had read that, that there was some difficulty with the airspace is flying over people, flying over other cars. And so obviously in a highly congested urban area, it would be just about impossible not to get from point A to point B without flying over something like that. So what does that have to do with some of the airspace restrictions? Right. So the issue with flying over people and vehicles is two different aspects. That One, if your drone comes out of the sky and hits a person, you have the aspect of where the actual kinetic energy hits the person. It could potentially be fatal. There's also the propellers, which could cause laceration. Uh, so that's one aspect to it. And then there's the moving vehicles. And that's a problem in, in the sense that the FAA views it as that you could have a drone crash near a road or in near a car and the car swerves and kind of sets off a chain of events because they're at a high rate of speed, right? And then they hit a tree and then potentially 
die or something like that or crash into oncoming traffic. So those are kind of the two different aspects there when you're flying in an urban suburban environment. However, you know, two ways to mitigate that one, you can mitigate falling on people potentially by also a parachute system. So as to reduce the overall kinetic energy uh, as it descends so that it doesn't actually severely injure the individual. Also, you can have an aircraft that is highly reliable due to design, uh, multiple redundant systems, as well as uh, maintenance uh, that's regularly done so that you don't have a failure. Well, let's talk about line of sight. So as I understand it in my research was that there are some limitations. Uh, the aircraft are not allowed to go outside the actual visible view of the pilot if it's a piloted type of operation. But in terms of an unmanned flight, you know, you can fly by coordinate, fly by altitude, you know, have a, a prescribed flight path put in. So what does that mean for line of sight restrictions? Yeah, so that's actually a really great point. So it, it, under Part 107, which is the regulations the FAA created uh, back in 2016, uh, that allows for package delivery, a very limited scope in that it's within line of sight. Well, the problem there is the size of the drone is primarily going to be determining how far out human eyeballs can actually see. And that's also kind of up in the air regarding the person, because depending upon that person's eyeballs and the time of day and the lighting and the contrasting colors between the aircraft and the background sky, right, you can have some issues there with with actually being able to detect it. So in order to actually go further out uh, you, and fly beyond line of sight, then you're going to have to fly under Part 135. Part 107 doesn't allow for package delivery beyond a line of sight. And so when you go beyond line of sight, now you could have potentially one, let's say like CVS or Amazon or Whole Foods or something like that, that is actually at one location that I can actually have maybe, let's say, two, three nautical mile radius around. So you have more potential customers for the you know, bigger footprint for that one uh, hardware installation. So you can use it uh, much more readily, right? And so that's kind of the thought there. From You think of it like equivalent with a cellular tower, right? You don't see sometimes cellular towers being put into low population areas. Right. It's kind of the same idea is that you're going to make money off of this. So you want to cover as many potential customers as possible. And that's really where uh, line of sight, uh, you need to get beyond that. And that's what triggers 135. You know, I've seen these uh, Amazon drop boxes at uh, places like Whole Foods. I think I've seen them at uh, different residences that I've walked by. But uh, it seems like to me, like, you know, sort of a 24-hour, you know, drone fleet flight delivery system, you know, would probably bode well, you know, using a 7-Eleven or something like that. Is that one possible way? Maybe if they have these pre-established routes of public places, they can get around some of those privacy rights. Do you see any other restrictions there? Yeah, you can actually do that. I mean, that, that would fix a lot of uh, issues as well. I mean, there's a lot of small commercial mail drop locations here and there, and you can actually prearrange all of that where the drone could come down and just deliver it. And then you can actually just like at a kiosk, right, it, then extract it and then get your, your delivery rather rapidly. Kind of like you think of it in a, like a, an apartment complex or a condo association, right, where you have that kind of communal area for your mail. You can do the same thing for your unmanned aircraft delivery and you can square things away with uh, with privacy. So that's kind of why I think privacy is much more of a concern that people have, but it typically doesn't pop up too much uh, in the wild. You can kind of take care of it with contracting and predefined locations. All right. So you and I talked about this uh, in our pregame quite a bit, just that the complexity of all the different layers of law that apply to, uh, you know, getting certified, but then actually, you know, pulling off these uh, delivery drone flights. And so can you explain that? And I think this is just so instructive about where our country is with this and how sometimes laws lag behind. But can you explain the complexity between local, state and federal laws when it comes to drone delivery flights? 
Sure. Yeah. So yeah, this brings up just a really, really big overall issue of uh, preemption. And that under uh, Article 6 of the United States Constitution, right, when Congress is trying to do something, we don't really want to have the state substantially frustrating it in its application. And so there's a big issue here in that aviation is in some regards expressly preempted, in some regards field preempted, and in some regards also conflict preempted. So for air carriers, like these Part 135 operations, they're expressly preempted uh, by a federal statute from any state, town, or county creating any rule or law that is uh, actually affecting the rates, routes, or services. So that's one important point to this. And then if we were to leave the Part 135 realm and just all the normal Part 107 flyers out there, like these people that are like realtors with with the drone taking some photos of their real estate, then this aspect there is you also have uh, field preemption. Aviation historically is a very field preempted uh, area of the law. And there has been at least one ruling recently, the Singer versus the city of Newton, where the district court of uh, Massachusetts, the federal district court of Massachusetts struck down a, the city of Newton's law on conflict preemption grounds, because what city of Newton did is basically said, Hey, you can't fly below 400 feet. Well, part 107 says you have to stay below 400 feet. <laughs> and in fact, it's a, it's a complete ban. Right. You can't comply with both sides. Wow. And so and so there's an issue there um, from from all this is that from a preemption standpoint, you have to deal with express uh, field as well as conflict preemption. And even if somebody were to try to get creative and do a copy paste job from the federal aviation regulations and make it like state and local, the problem there is this stuff is constantly changing. So you have to keep up to date with stuff. And that's problematic because I've seen stuff previously where they would reference old law and things have changed. And it's like, well, that creates a weird predicament. Uh, additionally, can potentially be struck down on conflict preemption grounds. One reason why is with the USB Arizona case, I think it was, or Arizona of US, where uh, state of Arizona created a law that was basically a copy-paste job of the federal law, and it was struck down on conflict preemption grounds basically because the actual punishment was different than the federal law. So even though you might be trying to do a copy-paste job of the federal law to get around some conflict preemption challenge uh, to your law and end up in court, right? If the if actual punishment is going to be different, maybe with pe- you know penalties or fines or less than or more than, then that's that's also going to potentially set you up for losing in a conflict preemption lawsuit. So there's, there's a lot of issues surrounding this when states, towns, and counties are trying to come in and regulate aircraft. And I would suggest that they just kind of look around and look at all of their criminal laws already on the books and potentially use a uh, technology agnostic law, which is already on the books, to prosecute the evils that they're concerned about, right? If you're worried about invasion of privacy, don't you already have that kind of crime or that civil uh, uh, tort on the books somewhere that we can actually use? Do we actually need to go and create a completely new law that potentially sets everyone up for all sorts of these constitutional issues or conflict uh, uh, issues? It's so I would suggest everybody kind of look in their toolbox because they probably already have the tools they need. Well, you're putting a lot of faith in politicians who notoriously like to come up with new laws and then name them after themselves or someone <laughs> they know. But uh, That's true. <laughs> so last question for you. So in part loaded question, in part it's a confession. So sometimes in the middle of the night, Jonathan, I like to eat Captain Crunch and sometimes I don't have it. I don't want to go to the store. So realistically speaking, how close am I to a day when I can add a drop of a hat's notice, order a flying drone to bring me some Captain Crunch? 
It's not going to be anytime realistically soon. That's uh, a bummer. The, 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 <laughs> yeah, these operations are happening only at certain locations around the United States for like 99% of Americans. You know, it's not coming to you probably too soon, uh, mainly because of all these issues that we're dealing with. Uh, also, expanding the operations to more locations with the Federal Aviation Administration uh, and hiring more pilots and, and doing more exotic things. There's, there's a lot to it. So you're not going to get anything uh, anytime soon, but it is on the horizon. And there are some steps that are being made towards getting to that end goal. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jonathan. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please give us a review in your favorite podcasting app. It really helps the show. And also we'll cite our sources for this episode on our website at legaltalknetwork.com. And finally, some hat tips, one to uh, Concepcion de Leon of the New York Times and the other to Christina Tobacco of Law Street for their insightful articles. I'll put those in the show notes as well. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 